Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to Driven to the Cross. This is a radio broadcast as part of Christ Covenant Church here in McAllen, Texas. And we are blessed every time you turn that radio on and we have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. Our hope is, through this broadcast, that you are encouraged, that you learn, that you want to grow deeper in a relationship with Jesus. I am your host. I am the senior pastor here at Christ Covenant Church, and my name is Dr. Alfred Fisher. I am truly, truly honored to share this time with you. You know, time is such a precious gift. It's the one thing the one thing we can never get back. It always marches on. And it will continue to march on for an eternity. So my friends, will you join me this morning in prayer as we go to the throne room of grace, our most eternal, precious, and gracious Father, we come to you recognizing who you are. Father, we recognize that we are not worthy. We recognize that we are fallen individuals, that we are a sinful people. And we ask you, we ask you to heal our land. We confess our sins to you, O God. We confess that you are right and we are wrong. If, if ever there was a time when our nation needed you, Lord, it's right now. You've gotten us through wars. You've gotten us through financial hardships. You've gotten us through the founding, the birth of this country. And Lord, for many years, this nation honored you. It recognized the covenant relationship, the covenant that was made with you. But now, this nation wants to embrace its idols. It wants to embrace its carnality, its own depravity. And it has forsaken you, our God. And Lord, those evil roots are being exposed. And we ask that you would continue to pluck out the evil, Lord. Pluck it out. Restore our land. Restore our nation. Heal our people. Give us a heart after you that we can glorify you. We know that you are slow to anger, and you are a patient, God. We know that you are holy and righteous. And we ask you, Father, to look from down from your throne and heal this land. Stir up the hearts of man that we would once again once again, not waver. 
Please bless this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friends, once again, I'm Dr. Alfred Fisher, and I am the pastor here at Christ Covenant Church in McAllen, Texas. And we are continuing our lengthy series on the session of Christ. And I know those of you who are our longtime listeners are going, man, this is a long series. But let me tell you something. Let me try and encourage you. That series is breaking down one of the key doctrines in that of Christianity. And so we've been looking about what does it mean for the court to be in session? What does it mean for him to be seated at the right hand? What is the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples? What is it he has called us to do? How do we march on and be good, faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And now we're into a part where we're talking about him being the judge. My friends, I find this timing on this series to be very appropriate. You know, right now, here in the United States, we recently had a Supreme Court justice pass away, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and now our current president is appointing a nominee to the Senate for a new judge in the United States Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, the ones who helped to determine constitutionality of cases, the ones who helped to set precedent of the way our Constitution should be interpreted, the ones who say this is right or this is wrong. And there's been a whole bunch of discussion about should they wait till after the election? Should they go ahead? Should they do this? Should they do that? Well, I have news for you. I think that the Supreme Court is a court of man. I think that the Supreme Court is the highest court in the United States. And I know that for a fact. I also know that the Supreme Court cannot make law. The Supreme Court is not able to legislate constitutionally from the bench. They are to interpret. And so you may be saying, well, why are you talking about that? One of the roles of Christ as king is that he is judge. And he is a righteous judge. He is the judge that has the final authority. Just like a judge in our Supreme Courts, or in our appellate judges, and our district judges, and our local judges, they have the authority granted to them to operate within a set purview, a set window, if you will, of authority. 
to interpret case law, to interpret marital law, family, civil, criminal. All these things are within a set purview of something that is already defined. And that's important for us to recognize, that, that already defined. And for a judge, they have to be qualified. They have to meet certain criteria so that there's no question that when they speak on a subject, they're an authority on that subject. They are qualified to interpret law. They're qualified to set a judgment. They are qualified to enforce. Now, do you think God would be any different? His son had to meet certain requirements. His son had to fulfill the law. His son had to be God. Who else? Who else would be able to fulfill the very law that God himself decreed? But God himself. And so when we look at Jesus and understand that, yes, he intercedes for us. Yes, he is our sacrifice. Yes, he paid the price. Yes, he is a great teacher. Yes, he is a ruling king. But he's also a judge. And he is to judge the living and the dead. Last week we got into some of that. And what I want you to see today we're going to go into 1 Peter 4, and we're going to be in chapter 4. And I want you to understand that Jesus is qualified. Jesus is right in offering his judgment. Now, One of the things that a judge does many times when they offer a decree, when they offer a ruling, is they give their reason for it. They give the purpose behind the decree. They explain. Sometimes they'll go into the precedent. Sometimes they'll go into the explanation of the evidence and then and give meaning behind their statements. So let me start here in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be going for a little ways in this chapter. But let me give you a little bit of a synopsis, if you will. Jesus, he's exhorting, Paul actually is exhorting the people to cease from sin, to live as an example of Christ. Approaching the end of all things, he exhorts them to sobriety, to charity. And you know, that's no different than the teaching of Christ. Christ taught the same 
Now listen as we start in chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. What does that tell us? Here we start to see something. Here we start to see a demarcating line, a separation, if you will, of what we as individuals are supposed to do. It's being spelled out for us here that when we are bought by the blood of the Lamb, when we are purchased through the blood, adopted, grafted into the holy vine of Christ, our lives are to be different. We are to serve, and to serve in charity, meaning in love. We are to serve with a heart and mind of Christ. Remember earlier in this series, I told you through Scripture what it is that Christ had expected us to do. And here's being reinforced. And we're told to cease from sin. That means we are to cease from the active engagement. It should become so repugnant to us that as Christians, sin should not be able to have that hold on us. We should shy away from it. We should leave it alone that we would be obedient to the very will of God. And that means that we have to subdue the flesh. Now listen. Listen on. There, that he should be no longer, should live the rest of his life in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Now, don't misunderstand. Do not misunderstand. He's not saying that it's wrong for you to have a nice home. He's not saying it's wrong for you to have nice things. He's not saying that you cannot have comfort. But when you place these things over the priority of God, it becomes an idol. When, it, when your home, when your car, when your clothing, when your jewelry, when your job, when your hobbies, when everything else takes place of, in your life to the point that it overwhelms you and consumes you, you are living after the lust of the flesh. <coughs> we have a, a nice phrase that has been around for such a long time, I do not know when it started, but we often call it keeping up with the Joneses. And what does that mean? Very simply, your neighbor buys a new car, well, pretty soon, you know what? You're going to want to go buy a new car. Why? Because your older car, oh man, it just doesn't have the glit and the glimmer it did. It doesn't have the enticement. It's not the shiny new bobble. So what do you do? You find a way to justify going and buying the new car. Or let's say you have... A friend, and that friend is 
wearing all kinds of jewelry and really nice clothes and, well, you're not. Well, what do you do? You find an excuse, a way to go and have those same things. You want to run with the same influences. You want to have that same appearance. Why? Because you're desiring to fit in with a carnal nature. You're keeping up with the Joneses. There used to be a joke, and I'm sure it's quite apt today, that if you see a man opening the door of his car for the woman, two things. One, either the car is new or the woman is new. Why would I bring that up? Well, let me tell you. When something is nice and new and has our appeal, we want to treat it really nice. We want to take care of it. We want to put on the appearance. And my friends, all of the material items in this world will not bring you peace. All the money in this world will not bring you peace. All the events of this world will bring you peace. The only thing that will bring you peace is a lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. My friends, my friends, look at the groundwork being laid here. When people go into excess of drunkenness and revelry, it leads to abomination, it leads to idolatry, it leads to a covetous nature that is never satisfied. Never satisfied. And the only thing that can satisfy that ravenous beast is to kill that beast and live in Christ. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, and they speak evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they may be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now let me clarify something here, because there is a false doctrine out there that is taken from this verse. And let me try and explain this to you. When it says here that uh, preached also to them that are dead, it's talking about a spiritual death. But also, those who have gone on before, the gospel of Christ is preached to them. And even though it was preached while they were alive, it was they're now dead. But let me tell you something. There is a doctrine, and it's put out by the Mormon church, and it's a heresy. It is a heresy to say that the soul goes to a spiritual prison and that you can receive the Mormon gospel while you are in spiritual prison and be set free and go on into heaven. Well, here's the issue, and this is why I am trying to make this clear to you, that once you are dead comes the judgment. That's what the Bible says. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then cometh the judgment. My friends, the heresy that the Mormon church puts out 
about being sent into a spirit prison until you're taught the gospel of the Mormon religion, and then you go into a heaven, is heresy. And here's why. If you could accept Jesus Christ after you were dead, that would negate the very work of the cross. For why would we have to accept Christ, follow Christ, and be obedient on this earth if when we died we had the option? My friends, don't fall for the heresy. My friends, that is why it is so important that you know the constitution of the Christian, which is the Holy Bible. My friends, that is why it is important that you learn sound doctrine, why you have sound theology, why you know the Scriptures inside and out, why you should study to show yourself approved so that you will not be deceived. My dear friends, church, hear me when I say this. It is appointed unto man once to die and then cometh the judgment. And look at what it says right here in Scripture. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Here's what this means. Every single soul that has ever had the breath of life has to give an account, must give an account for their life before Christ the judge. Every single one of us is accountable Every single soul is accountable for their action. Every single soul will be held to an account saying, why did you not do this? My friends, some of you would say, well, that sounds like salvation by works. No, it is not salvation by works. What I'm telling you is, each of us has an account. And when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He has forgiven us of our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And so when we are seen, we are seen through the blood of the Lamb. Spotless. Now do not mistake. That is not a license for you to go out and commit sin. For sin should be abhorrent to you. Sin should be a stench in your nostrils. The desire to serve the living God because the Word of God, the law of God was put upon our hearts and written upon our minds when we are that new creation. Oh, dear friends, dear friends, if we would stop acting as if there was no reason to fear. I'm not talking about an irrational fear. I'm talking about a holy fear of a righteous God. We act as if we are no different than the world. And we just put a tag on that says, I'm a Christian. Why? Because, well, your parents were, or your grandparents, or your aunt and your uncle, or, or, how about this one? How about because you come to church on a Sunday morning that you are a Christian? Well, my friends, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Your parents being Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Your aunt and uncles, your friends, they don't make you a Christian. Only you, having committed your life to Christ, 
being obedient and believing on him, being saved by the blood of the Lamb, causes you to be a Christian. And notice what it says in verse 4. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, and they speak evil of you. Did you notice they think it's strange? Why would they think it's strange? Because you used to engage in it. You used to define you. You were a part of that group. And now, because you have chosen to walk away from it and honor God, they think that it is strange. And so what do they do? They begin to find fault with you in your actions. They think, oh, well, he thinks he's too good for us now. Oh, man, he, he, he's changed. He's all that religious, holy, roller, Bible thumper. Well, my friends, I'd rather be called that than the son of the devil. I'd rather be called a son of God than a son of the devil because I know who wins. I know who has the answer. And I would rather that they speak evil against me than have evil spoken against someone else. If they're going to gossip and slander, let them slander me for the name of Christ. Is that your prayer? Who shall give an account? Each of us shall give an account. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. And I want to close with this question. Do you live according to the flesh? Or do you live according to the Spirit of God? Do people know that you are a believer? Do people know? Do people know that you are a follower of Christ? My friends, I'm, I'm out of time this morning. I have so much more I want to give you. Would you come and join us at 1030? We're at 1320 West Nolana Avenue in McAllen, Texas. Our website is ChristCovenantMcAllen.org. And our Facebook page is Christ Covenant McAllen. Now we are there. You'll see our sermons, a little bit about us, some things we offer. But you can also donate and support this ministry. You can give to it. Every dollar that ever comes into this place goes out in ministry. It doesn't stay in house. It doesn't get pumped into a personal bank account or anything like that. It all goes in to the preaching of the word and ministering to the community. Come join us. We'd love to meet you, shake your hand, pray with you. 1320 West Nolana Avenue. We're here at 1030 in the morning. That's when our service starts. So once again, I'm Dr. Alfred Fisher, and we'd love to see you, love to get to know you. May God bless you. May he enrich you. And may he keep you. See you soon.